everyone. Today's guest on Fashion for All, the Smart Glamour podcast, is Amy Velotion of sustainable and inclusive pajama brand Print Fresh. Amy falls under the maker category of types of guests we'll be chatting with on the podcast. I'll let her introduce herself properly. We chat about her start in corporate design, her textile and print work, the decision to start her own business, and how it started with journals, and also, lastly, how she'd like to see the print and fashion industries change moving forward. Enjoy our conversation. Hi there. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Could you please introduce yourself? Of course. My name is Amy Velotion, and I'm the founder of Print Fresh, and we are a sustainable, size-inclusive pajama line, and we make whimsical patterns. Very cool. Um, so could you tell me just a little bit how, well, first of all, when when did you start that, and why did you just start to decide to start that? Yeah, I have been working in the fashion industry for about 15 years, and I have been working kind of like on the pattern side of things, working in print design and selling designs to major fashion companies. Mm -hmm. And I had been doing that for a while and I really wondered what it would be like to be on the other side of things and making a product for people to wear, something that could really utilize our patterns. And it was kind of a long journey. We actually ended up starting with journals, which you would think has nothing to do with patterns. Uh, But we we did fabric covered ones. And I started working in India, specifically in Jaipur. And we made some really beautiful products and kind of started to do the journey of figuring out how to have a product line, things like doing trade shows, learning how to work with wholesalers, and kind of navigating that whole thing. And then it kind of eventually led us to putting a pattern that kind of initially failed on a journal. It just looked bizarre. And we, we said Mm -hmm. like, Oh, maybe we could do something else with this. And then we were like, let's try a pajama. Maybe that would be a good use of our patterns. And once we got to Jaipur and we were in the factory and sitting there, we're like, this is it. We found it. So it just, it looked amazing made up in the pajamas. And that's kind of like when we knew that that was something to start moving on. Awesome. And when did when was that turn to pajamas? All right. That was so I I started working on the pajamas in 2017. Oh, okay. So like so a fairly time ago, but, but I've been in the fashion industry for yeah. a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and why when you decided to move from journals to uh something that's wearable, why pajamas instead of like uh day clothes? Yeah, at the time I also had a women's clothing line. I kind of was trying a bunch of different things, trying to see like what would stick. I don't know what I was thinking. I I feel like I got a little overzealous. My kids had finally started sleeping through the night and I was like, oh, I can do anything. I'll try this. I'll try that. <laughs> and I mean, it, it started off, uh, you know, very fun and exploratory, but uh, we we found that there was like some things that were a little bit challenging with doing kind of, you know, ready to wear clothing in a there's so many like challenges, which I'm sure you know all about with uh, the challenges of trying to put together a full collection and trying to navigate the wholesale market and trying to also have a direct to consumer business. It was really tricky with the, the dresses. Mm-hmm. And I, we found that for me, I feel like 
pairing our love of pattern that I've been doing for so long into the pajamas was just kind of like where things clicked a little bit more. Like it it was a little bit easier for me Mm -hmm. for whatever reason to find a way to stand out in a really crowded market because there's so many lines out there, Mm -hmm. but there's something about our pattern Mm -hmm. sensibility that paired with pajamas was really exciting for us. And I think that it also had a lot more opportunities for me to pursue some of the things that were so important to me, like size inclusion and really making super comfortable Mm -hmm. clothing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And do you currently both do direct to consumer and wholesale with pajamas too, or no? Yeah, we got our start really as like a wholesale brand initially because we had a website, but not many people went to it. And ever since, (laughs) you know, it was like a couple sales a week and, you know, it was, it was exciting, but it wasn't enough to, you know, to, uh, really sustain the business. So we were mostly doing trade shows, uh, doing things like New York Now and the Atlanta shows. And we have a wholesale rep that's been wonderful and has really helped us uh, through the evolution of our business. Mm-hmm. But we, um, yeah, we started really trying to like explore using Instagram and our website. And then once the um, the shutdowns happened and the pandemic happened, it was kind of a unique opportunity to have to kind of shift gears and really focus on our website because we, so many of our stores Mm. were shut down, they couldn't accept orders. So we really had to totally change our business model. Mm. So pre-pandemic, did you do any direct to consumer? Only a little bit. It was really, it was not a lot. I mean, like, you know, we were very excited for any order, but uh, now I would say, our website is pretty much like 90% of our business. So it's really shifted. Mm. Wow. Okay. That's so interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, clearly the pandemic made everyone have to like figure out new ways of doing things um, and specifically within the fashion industry. So that's, that's really interesting to me that you were much more wholesale pre pre pandemic, but that, I mean, it makes complete sense as I know so many stores were shut down for so long and um, obviously that can really affect what you're doing. Um, So I want to kind of touch on a few of the things that you've brought up and also just that I I know about your brand from looking it up a little bit. Um, So you've mentioned, obviously, that size inclusivity is important to you and and also sustainability. Um, So let's talk about the sizing first, because quite honestly, so I have like an incredibly high standard for for a size inclusion. Yes, you Um, have more (laughs) sizes than almost anyone else out there, which I love. Which I which I'm mostly able to do because I make everything myself, right? It's a completely different different business model. Um, I do also though believe that people that don't make everything themselves that use factories could do a lot more than they are doing generally. Um, and I was and I was so pleased to see that you went up to a six X because so often I'll see people saying that they do in- inclusive sizing and you know they stop at a two or a three, but really their two and their three is even kind of like slightly smaller than it should be. So they really don't even go up that high. So I'm just curious like what was your like uh thought process and journey to deciding to be inclusive and deciding to go up to 6x like just talk about all that. Yeah, I think that in having this chance to like to make the pajamas and as things were taking off, I just knew that I wanted our employees, my friends, my family to be able to wear the clothes. It just felt weird 
to not, <laughs> yeah, to exclude the people that are nearest and dearest to me. Like, it's just, you know, I, I think any brand that doesn't really question that, like, it's bizarre to me. And mm-hmm. I felt like as soon as we got like our first collection going and figured things out, you know, like we instantly knew like, hey, like we have to make this size inclusive. There's no other way to do this. And I mean, it definitely took time to figure it out because we had to get the styles and the fit correct in street sizing and then immediately start working with a fit model, learning how to change the pattern so that it could work for one through three X and then figuring out how to make four, five, six X work and having different patterns for each of those three scenarios. And so, I mean, it definitely took a lot of work. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. recently added in the five X and six X, but it just, we had to keep perfecting mm-hmm. the one through three until we could get there. So, you know, it's, it's a long-term commitment and trying to make the fit really work because there's no sense in making it if you're not going to do it right. I think that there's so much like right, uh, right, right, technical right. design, which, uh, you know, is incredibly important to really get it perfect for the customer. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me because, um, I mean, I'm not sure what your, and you can tell me what your background was, bef- like the education wise before you went into corporate design world. But like, to me, I think a lot of people will ask me why I don't think more businesses are um, attempting to be more inclusive. And, you know, my, my very quick answer is usually that like, they just don't want to because we live in a fat phobic society. But when you really dive deeper into that, you know, when you're thinking about fashion education, and the systems that set up designers to then make companies, um, if those systems are not being inclusive and not teaching people about the reality of sizing and and the reality of people's sizes in the world, then why would we ex- why would we expect the outcome to be designers that know how to be inclusive? Yeah, exactly. My my daughter who's seven recently was taking an online fashion design class, mm. and yeah, I was so excited that she knows she wanted to like learn about what I do and you know, I was kind of like listening in and I mean, it was a super cool class, but then they started doing the fashion illustration and it was like the, you know, like nine or 10 heads for like for these illustrations. And mm-hmm. I was just like, Ooh, are we still doing that? And yeah. <laughs> you just don't need to. I mean, like these days, you know, that's how I learned. I went to the Rhode Island school of design and okay. I studied, you know, like some aspects of fashion. I'm mostly focused on textiles but, you know, like we learned kind of like that traditional way, but it's not what humans look like. And I think it's just sets like these really unrealistic um, like ideals, which are so like just not what humans look like. And, you know, I just really question like whether illustration and all those things can be reconstructed in a much more positive and healthy viewpoint. Yeah, I actually teach some um virtual sketching to some folks every once in a while that I like started doing during the pandemic. Um, And it's so interesting because every time I restart it with a new group of people, I like re attempt to find a legitimate reason (laughs) that we are doing this nine, 10 head croaky and it just doesn't exist. And it's just truly to, to stretch people bodies out and make them look tall and thin. And like when I was at, I went to FIT, And when I was at FIT, I would get like criticized and marked down and critiqued for making my croquis too curvy. Like it was like, no, no, 
they're you know bodies don't bodies have to be this small which again doesn't even make sense on us on a on a drawing scale you know you want to be able to to get your details in if you're making the tiniest bodies like how do you have any room to be yeah, you need a little more space <laughs> for like doing that pocket that placket all those things oh, right right exactly um and then when it comes to sustainability um you know was that always also something at the forefront of your mind when you decided to start the business? Yeah, it was something that at the time, like when we began, I knew some basics. I knew what I had read, you know, on the internet and, you know, took some classes, read some books. It was something that when I was in college, it really was not something that there were resources around. Mm -hmm. And I knew that there had to be a better way. Like if I was going to, if, you know, as, me just as a normal person, like starting the clothing line, I knew that we had to make some decisions that were a little bit better than what a lot of major retailers are doing. You know, like they're kind of like plugged into a system. There's like all of these things that they've just been doing for so long in a certain way. And it just doesn't have to be that way when you're running a tiny company. You get to make all these choices. Sometimes they're much more expensive choices, which is challenging to figure out how to navigate and trying to not pass too much of that cost along to the consumer. Mm-hmm. But I knew that we had to be careful with how we were choosing our materials. And it took a lot of time. Like when we first started, we started only using cotton, which is a start because there's a lot of synthetics out there. And, you know, there's so many conversations about the pros and cons of different types of fabrics But we started there. And I mean, when we were first making things, we were making so few units. We couldn't weave our own fabrics. There were things that were going to take time. But as soon as we began, Mm -hmm. we knew, okay, like a year from now, we need to be 100% organic with our fabric. So it took a little bit of time to Mm -hmm. build up to the point where the orders were going to, like the factory was willing to start weaving fabric for us. But as soon as we started getting there, we're like, okay, we're ready to invest in this. And it took a lot of research to figure out how to do GOTS certified organic fabric. Like how do you make sure it's actually certified? Like, and just so much research went into it. But now like, it's amazing that we're like finally there. And now everything that we're producing that's new is made in organic fibers. Yeah, which is really wonderful. And I think that, um, as you mentioned, when you're talking about fabrics, that there's so many different conversations to be had about like pros and cons for using different things. And that's something that's kind of like a topic and a, um, not really a topic, a point that I bring up a lot in this podcast that it just in general, whenever we're talking about any uh, various uh, conversation, that there's only one correct way to handle something, right? Or like one best way. Um, and so like, if you're going to be using a factory and making things from scratch and you have the ability to get your own fabric woven, then like amazing, wonderful. Like if you can do the organic route and you can get things certified, that's such a great way. Then there also needs to be brands who are trying to use up the fabric that already exists, you know, and like getting rid of dead stock, you upcycling and recycling, like not necessarily one is better than the other. It's like, uh, sustainability, sustainability, and um, being you know environmentally conscious with the work that you create and put out into the world um, is such a big thing that like there can't possibly be only one way to do it. 
know? know. And I think that that's just so challenging because I think that uh, it can be so hard to put yourself out there as a brand. And you kind of have to choose this camp of like, are you non-sustainable or are you sustainable? And like how and why? And to me, it's this whole kind of just spectrum of where you might fall on that for so many different levels of criteria, because within sustainability, you know, there's the ethical components of things of manufacturing. There's like not just your garment itself, but then how does it wear over time? Like, how are you responsible for its end of life cycle? And how do you educate your customers on that? How do you package your stuff? How do you send it? You know, like all of these things, mm-hmm. like the papers you put in there, how much packaging do yep. you like? Do you want it to be this incredible package you open up or do you want it to be the least amount of waste used? There's so many things to <laughs> right, consider. Right, I mean, right. it's just like the, the details to this are never ending. Yeah, that's so true. That's so interesting with, about packaging specifically. It's like so many times I'll see people like, you know, unboxing things in the internet, opening it and, and you know, certain packages will look so lovely. They, they open it and there's all this stuff in there and it's so colorful and it's like, wow, look at that. But then when you have to think about it, it's like, well, what are they going to do with all that stuff? You know, like you're just going to turn around and pick it up and put it in the trash. So like, you know, what level of, um, you know, quote unquote customer experience is worth opening a pretty package versus are we just putting more waste into the world? Yeah, we had to kind of figure out a system to reconcile that. So we have, we started offering like this beautiful handcrafted bag that people can add on as like gift wrapping if they really want like this, you know, special experience, especially because pajamas are so giftable right now. Right, right. And then if you don't elect for that, like then we have a very like minimal packaging situation, which is like, you know, recycled plastic mailer so that, that it doesn't get damaged in transit. It doesn't get wet, mm-hmm. all of these things, but it's like mm-hmm. the bare bones because you just have to kind of like find a way to navigate. Like you can choose, you can choose your own adventure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a good way to go about it. Um, so I'm curious uh, if you're interested in talking about at all your experience in corporate fashion before deciding to go out to do your own thing and like, and why you made that decision. Um, and you know, how, how was it working in corporate fashion for 15 years? Yeah. I mean, I got my start working for urban outfitters, free people and anthropology. I started very Uh early on there. So I kind of got to bounce around to, to all the different brands Mm -hmm. and it was really interesting to just have like so many opportunities to learn about the industry And I mean, it was an incredible time to be working in fashion. I got to do like so much. Uh, And then after that, like when I had my print design company, I was working with uh, like hundreds of fashion companies. So I really got to like go into all these different offices, work with all these different teams and kind of like hear what was working, what wasn't and seeing in such an intimate way, like what was being offered out there and learning more about you know, like how companies approach sustainability and size inclusion and all that. So I feel like it just gave me so much information into like how I could do Mm -hmm. it my own way, like in a way that would serve our customers and like my friends and employees better in the way that we can make things. Mm -hmm. And then what was the decision process around like leaving that life to a much more, uh, as I know, stressful and um, uh, <laughs> yeah, both are hectic, hard. Uh, unpredict- unpredictable life of doing your own thing. 
Yeah. So I, so in running my own print studio for so long, uh, it was kind of, it was always like a small business, but it was a little bit different being like a service provider for the fashion industry. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I was so curious and I feel like that industry was shrinking so much like over every year that I was doing it, you know, when, when I first started the, the fashion industry was just different. Like the budgets were bigger and people would buy so many prints. You go into a print appointment and people would buy like 30 patterns and they would buy them for color and inspiration. It was just like, you know, the wild days of fashion. And that was like in <laughs> right. 2006 and <laughs> it's, it's just uh-huh. changed a lot. <laughs> And it just wasn't, it wasn't working anymore. I think that we kept trying to make it work and it just became so incredibly difficult to, um, to run that business. It just, we knew that we had to pivot into something and I wanted it to be something that I really believed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and earlier when you, when you were first telling me about this this journey trajectory of your career, you mentioned, you know, that your children had just started sleeping through the night. So you're like, I'll throw more stuff onto my onto my plate. Um, I've interviewed a few people, one specifically in the fashion industry and one who was not, but then pivoted into a more creative career who were both moms and kind of had to um, make decisions while their children were either, you know, they're pregnant and they're about to have children or their children were very young just to like be able to handle a career while also being able to be with their, their children. And I was wondering if you had any, you know, tangential experience of like deciding to go from one thing to another while having young children. Yeah. Entrepreneurship and having kids is incredibly challenging. It's so (laughs) hard But I mean, it's also been really interesting, especially over this past year, having to navigate homeschooling while Mm. trying to run a business and that the whole schedule is just bizarre. Um, But in some ways, it's been positive because the kids can help me with things or, you know, like, especially initially when everything was totally shut down, like my son would help me pack the candles and my daughter would like double check order forms. And, you know, we just (laughs) kind of made it work. Um, And it it was nice to be able to spend more time together because before I wasn't able to have that much time together. And now with working from home now every day, almost, it's been Mm -hmm. really nice to be able to connect more. I think it would be hard if I had a different type of employment. I think it would be a little bit harder to have that flexibility. Mm, Yeah. And you said your daughter is seven. How old is your son? He's nine. Okay. So yeah, they're definitely like old enough to be able to, to actually help. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like in varying degrees and every day is a little right, bit right. different in terms of how helpful and for how long. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have a niece and a nephew that are almost the exact same age. So um, I'm, I'm very aware of how helpful they can or cannot be. <laughs> um, so when you, I mean, when you decide, when you started this, this version of the company, they were, you know, both considerably younger. Was that like, what was that, that like, you know, having children who were doing the math in my head, uh, three and what, five, six? Yeah. I think three and five at the time. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it was, it was harder than I thought it would be. (laughs) (laughs) It was, I mean, yeah, it was, it was definitely challenging at that time. And I think that 
running a fashion company is incredibly time consuming. There's so many details to everything, you know, whether it's your garment labels or the way that a garment is construction constructed and all these things. There's so many details. And I think it's definitely hard to like balance both and be having so many sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely really challenging. I think that if I had it to do again, I may have waited a little bit longer to have started the businesses, but there's no good time to start a business. I think that, right. you know, if I had that mentality of like waiting a little bit longer, maybe I would have never done it. I think that sometimes you just have to jump in, but I think that it requires yeah. so much patience to run any business and especially a fashion one, because there's so many ups and downs and so many things can be complete disasters when certain fabrics don't work or certain patterns don't come out. There's, there's a lot of challenges. So you just need uh, to be very patient with yourself, with your family, everything in the process. Yeah, for sure. That's a, I think a good note to anyone who might be listening, who's like, um, you know, interested in maybe doing their own thing or maybe just started their own thing. Um, you know, patience, patience and like flexibility to understand that like things are not always going to happen in, in the order that you want them to or or in the exact timeline that you want them to. So you have to. Yeah, like, it's been very nonlinear. <laughs> yeah, I think that we also get so fooled by like what we see on social media. Everything mm. uh, seems like people just figured it out so quickly or that they were an overnight success. And I think that that's rarely the case. And all my friends that look so successful when I like really pick their brains, they're like, no, no, no. It's like, that's just what it looks like. But the, you know, it took years and like so many failures. That, and I think that it's really, it's hard because it looks like everybody has everything going perfectly well on Instagram, but uh, it's, it's incredibly challenging and it takes a lot of time. Yeah. And I think also even like specifically when you're talking about the fashion industry, something that I've found um, through both running my business in a very non-traditional way, but also teaching um, some inclusive fashion business, uh, both at colleges and through my own personal uh, teachings, um, most people really have no idea how clothes are made, like, like actually made. I don't like, they definitely don't, most people don't really know how to physically make clothes, but also like the grand scheme of like how the fashion industry actually works. People really don't know. And so I think there's a lot of, um, kind of like understatement of how simple something is, you know, just like I'll see people commenting to, like influencers on Instagram or whatever, but like you should just start a fashion line. Like you, you know, you have such great style. You it should just do so it. Easy. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, just there's so much more that goes into that than just thinking like, oh yeah, I, this is this would be a cute dress. Like okay, that's very 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 step one of a lot. Yeah, of steps. and I would say that one of the things that I'm so thankful for is right when I started my line. I was in the Philadelphia fashion incubator and Mm. that was really helpful in terms of like finding a group of designers to kind of go through like a year of like learning with, because we all got to hear about how hard it was. So it was really helpful. And, and I think like it was probably like the first year or so that I was starting the line and to have like so Mm. many designers to like hear like how things were going for them, like what was working, what wasn't it was incredibly helpful to have that support system 
because mm-hmm. otherwise I think it can be really isolating uh, when you start out on your own business and having people to talk to and be honest with and everything. It was just, it was really important to the early time of starting my business. Yeah, that's great. Was that an incubator that was mostly around just like the um, production side of it? Or was it also like tied to any kind of like funding group or how how did that work? It was, uh, I would say it was a very comprehensive incubator. Every week was kind of different. So we were either meeting with somebody talking about how to do tech packs. So that's like all the technical Mm -hmm. design, like details Mm -hmm. that you would either keep for yourself, for your record keeping or send to a factory. We would have different Uh, meetings like maybe the next week with somebody who would talk about how to get investors or how to be bankable and get help with that. So it was like every week was a little bit different. It was all different industry experts that would come and volunteer their time and help us out. So it kind of just Mm, gave us a really broad variety because a lot of us that were in that cohort, some people had more fine arts oriented things or one of a kind things that they were making themselves. Some people were trying to um, you know, like work with factories, other people were making custom bridles. So it was all over the place in terms of what we were all doing. So it, it was a good incubator in that it mm. kind of had something in it every week for everyone. That's really cool. I feel like, you know, I've looked into all types of random either incubators or different fundings or contests or you name it over the years. And I feel like a, the majority of the incubators I've found are so like tech heavy they're not focused on actual making of products so i'm so i'm so glad to hear that 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 exists in philadelphia at least yeah yeah it was definitely a great one for emerging designers like who weren't quite ready for that like tech side of things because i feel like that's like that's the next stage and that's not right for every business right right exactly um So towards the end, I love to ask people how they would like to see the industries that they're experienced in change. And obviously, this is mostly just a fashion focused uh, conversation that we're having. But maybe you could talk a little bit about like the print industry separately as just your past experience and how that's changed over the years and, and maybe what you hope it could be. Um, And then also the like, you know, fashion specific small business industry. Yeah, I think in terms of like the pattern industry and how maybe that could modify to like best support the people that still have print studios. I think that if more companies were able to move towards shopping online or virtually, I think that that would definitely help the studios that are still out there. We used to do, it was, it's crazy when I think about it, we used to run around the, around New York city or Los Angeles with a giant suitcase full of hundreds of patterns. And there are all these scraps of fabric that kind of represent what the design would look like. And you show up and for 40 Mm -hmm. minutes, you're kind of flailing around with all these patterns (laughs) and it's incredibly stressful, time consuming. You're, you know, like flying all over the place, trying to do these appointments. And it would be so wonderful for the studios if those appointments could happen virtually or through Zoom or something like that. I think it would save the studios, which are super small micro businesses. A lot of times it's just one or two people and a bunch of freelancers working together. I think it would just really help that industry to be able to utilize technology in a smarter way. And in terms of- I had no idea they weren't. I mean, it's like when I worked in- Oops, sorry. (laughs) No, go ahead. (laughs) 
I was just saying that when I worked um, in my corporate fashion days, pre doing my own thing, um, that's literally how it was still being done. So that was like 2009, 2010. Um, people were still coming in with like huge giant portfolios and like flipping through prints. And I was like, uh, so it is truly shocking to me that like, that's, that's just, we're just, we're just sticking with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it's still happening, you know, I mean, up until a year ago, we were still doing it. Yeah. It's just, it's so painful for your shoulders and it's, yeah, it's physically very taxing. Yeah. So I would love to see that shift to being more online. And in terms of the mass market fashion industry, I would love to see more consideration around size inclusion. And I think that, um, you know, it's something that it requires a lot of thoughtfulness and a lot of technical design knowledge. But I think that even if major fashion brands that currently only go up to XL could start just inching their way towards a better size offering, like just going up to XXL or maybe just offering some of those best selling styles and not just the ones that are stretchy and black, but like fun patterns, the ones that have like all of the embellishment and the fun stuff, like, you know, just seeing those mm -hmm. go into XXL or a 1X, you know, and just and start building out a better size offering it would be so incredibly meaningful. Yeah, I agree. I think I also though urge like how you just mentioned at the start of that, that it, that it really takes thoughtfulness in addition to the technical knowledge um, that like, you know, so many brands will do that. Well, they, well, they will like, um, you know, start with just one or a two, et cetera, but then they are not really doing the equivalent amount of work to uh to promote and market and and sell those garments that they would be to straight size consumers i think you know sometimes people are under the impression that like we can just keep on keeping on the way that we've been doing it but then just tack on these sizes and they will sell whereas you know for so long forever for still um, plus size people are used to a very specific way of shopping where they have to be searching specifically for plus sizes, you know, um, up until recently, you know, th this, this inclusive thing is, is a new thing. You know, they've been, they've been shopping in stores that were mostly only for plus sizes. So if you have a straight size brand and you want to try to start being inclusive, great. But also keep in mind that you need to make that obvious. You need to have plus size models. You need to reach out to plus size influencers. You need yeah, to be and not just an XL model, a right. plus model, somebody who's at yes. least two X. Most yes. modeling agencies do have plus models. You know, there's a lot of people that are two X out there, and at least that kind of like shows how it's going to look and fit and really right. re represent the sizing in a better way. Right, exactly. I mean, just I have this conversation a lot with with both shoppers and also my personal models. But just recently this week, I had somebody emailing me about um, some interest in like a specific kind of custom dress that I don't carry, but they were wondering if I could make one. And they were showing me all these examples of other places that make them and some just don't have plus sizes at all. But one of them did have th this what we're talking about now like a few smaller smaller end plus sizes but they had no plus size models and she and she straight up said to me I don't trust a brand that is not going to at least put this on one plus size person to have made this item correctly so that it will fit me and you know I, not everyone just has tons of expendable income to be throwing into the wind for something that might not work so you know if you want people to buy your things you should really uh, take the extra effort and thoughtfulness um, to show them why you 
you know, deserve their money. <laughs> exactly. I think that it's just, it's just, it's one more day of a photo shoot. And there's so many modeling agencies that have people that are happy to come and model for your brand. There's so many real life humans that would love to like come out right, there. Right. Uh, there's influencers. I mean, these days there's so many incredible influencers, you know, who are great on camera and can even take their own pictures. There's ways to make it happen. Just send them some stuff, pay them for their yes. work and you can have great photos. There's, you know, like, especially with everyone working from home so much these days, there are so many ways to be more flexible and try something to show how the clothing's really going to look. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. Um, so to close out our chat, is there something that you would say to someone who is either just entering the fashion industry or maybe has been in the fashion industry for a little bit and wants to pivot to something else? Like, not, I, I, I always try to stay away from the word advice because it sounds like a little too, I don't know, preachy or something, but just like a, a positive uh uplifting thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that for uh, for people that are entering the fashion industry, I think that it's just so important to try working for some different companies that really match with your values and like and know what your values are so that when you're going on those interviews and you're meeting different design companies, like you you kind of are really like looking for that really good match where you're going to be happy with what you're working on and really just make sure that like the work culture is like a good fit for you. I think that that's like finding really like doing the work, not just taking that first job that emerges. Cause I mean, it's so, it's so hard to get a job in fashion. It really is, but it's important to find the right fit where you're going to be really happy, not just with the product, but the values behind that company and the work life culture Mm -hmm. within there. Hmm. And then what about for someone who um, might be interested in like pivoting to doing their own thing? Yeah, I think in any that, kind of industry, maybe. Yeah, I think that pivoting is one where there's so many different ways to kind of like dip your toe into trying something different. So I mean, right now, it's definitely like a little bit harder with like all of us kind of uh, being at home more and not being able to like, uh, do what I would normally advise. I think during normal times, I would definitely advise volunteering at different fashion events and things like Mm. most cities have some sort of fashion week. And if you want to get into fashion, maybe, you know, if you're working your like your nine to five job, it's not that easy to uh, like get into other things, but maybe like volunteering to like work backstage at fashion shows and all these different things, get to meet designers. And it's like a fun way to network. Like I think networking can be terrifying sometimes But I think that at events like that, where you're (laughs) paired with so many people that are just passionate about fashion, and uh, that can be a great way to make connections and figure out kind of, well, who else can you meet or volunteer with or help or give a hand at a selling event they're doing and just like starting to get to know people. And usually those connections will kind of lead you down the right path. Yeah, that's a really great suggestion. Yeah, I know. I know when I worked in corporate fashion and I was trying to see myself out of it, it was really hard to feel like, you know, at the end of the day, you're just so mentally exhausted and you just want to like unwind. So the idea of then having to come home and do more something else, whatever that thing is, sometimes can seem like a little bit too 
too like too much a little a little um impossible so i think that's a really good idea to start with like looking for for different volunteer opportunities that maybe you can do like on the weekend or you know whatever once a month like once every three months like just incremental things it's about just like breaking it down into something manageable that doesn't feel so overwhelming but just like starts getting you moving in that direction that you're passionate about yeah i think that's great advice so thank you so much for chatting with me. Could you please let me know how folks can find you, follow you or, you know, the brand in general um, on the internet? Yeah, you can check out our website at printfresh.com and also on Instagram at printfresh. Wonderful. And I will hyperlink all of that in the show notes so people can just head there and click right through. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of fashion for all please be sure to check our show notes for information and links to our guests and their work be sure to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating or review on apple podcasts to help others find the show for more smart glamour goodness you can head to smartglamour.com and follow us on facebook at backslash smart glamour and instagram at smart underscore glamour thanks